you are Locked On Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hail you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball. And today, unfortunately, we have to recap a loss. Yes, just, well, about 20 minutes ago, the Missouri and Tennessee game wrapped up. The Volunteers won 35-12, and we've got tons to talk about, including, well, we can obviously nitpick Eli Drinkwitz play calling at this point, because what the heck, it's game two, why not? The honeymoon's over, baby. And honestly... Even though I am going to talk about the offense, I'm frankly a little bit more disappointed with the other side of the ball in some ways. So we'll have to tear apart the defense just a tiny bit. I hate to say it before, hopefully building the whole thing back up. But you know what? First of all, we got to lead with the obvious, and that's that obviously short term, this was a frustrating football game on several different levels. But in the long term, Missouri probably found itself a quarterback today. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and take probably out of the equation here. We have found ourselves a quarterback. And now I think we can say it officially because in the past, there have been a lot of people who've really liked what they've seen in very limited action out of Connor Basilak. And well, now we've seen it for three quarters against a real opponent you know, I know it's not 100,000, 90,000 people kneeling stadium, but there were still 22,000 people in there. That's a really good football team, obviously, as we saw today. And I thought Basilak was really, really good today. Now, I just recently ran a show entitled, Let's Get Rid of Box Score Analysis. Well, to me, my point there is all about context, right? And if you look at Basilak's numbers, 13 of 21 passing for 218 yards, no touchdowns, and one interception. Those numbers are certainly not going to jump off the page at you. But we all saw him throw an excellent deep ball to Dominic Jacinto, and a nice play call by Eli Drinkwitz, by the way, getting Jacinto wide open down the middle of the field off of a play-action fake. But unfortunately, obviously, the ball was dropped. Now, that's not Basilak's fault by any stretch of the imagination, but more to the point, the kid just has it. He's calm in the pocket, and obviously he's got, a, he's got a good arm and can spin the football, but there's just something about the kid. He has He's good decision-making, knows when to run at the right time, sort, not unlike a lot of the best quarterbacks you see on Sundays these days. And most of all, again, just the, the calmness, the attitude of this young man. We saw twice, once once was his fault. Later in the game, he just dropped a snap, actually ended up picking it up and gaining three yards on the play, and nice job. But even, even better than that, earlier in the game, he was just not expecting the snap. Again, I don't know if that was his fault or not, but regardless, the ball hits him in the, in the thigh, rolls behind him. Well, he just calmly picks it up, rolls out to his right, completes the pass to Kiki Chisholm for a 25-yard gain. I mean, that was that was one of the most incredible plays I've ever seen a Missouri quarterback make, quite honestly. That was unbelievable. I couldn't I couldn't even believe what I was seeing. Now, obviously, some Tennessee defenders got caught rushing the football there when they saw 
that that ball come out but regardless just the the moxie the know-how the the situational awareness there of of Basilak to continue rolling to his right to just buy just enough time and obviously showing the arm strength there and not exactly the perfect position to throw the football getting it to Kiki Chisholm and well and that was that by the way that was Chisholm's only reception of the game for a 28 yard gain there Chisholm been very, very quiet so far, especially especially today. I don't know how many other targets he got. I think he got at least one other target that I can think of, but we'll get those numbers for you as the week unfolds. Bottom line, in the first quarter, despite the fact that at least one very prominent Missouri beat writer was shiting those of us who thought maybe Basilak looked better than Robinson last week against Alabama. They thought, oh, well, there's no objective way you can say that based on, again, on the box score stats, I suppose. Well, that's why I'm not all that interested in the box score. But unfortunately, in that first quarter of the game that was all Sean Robinson's, nothing was happening offensively. Missouri had zero passing yards outside of a few good Larry Roundtree runs in that first quarter. There was just nothing happening. And frankly, that third and nine read option that Eli called didn't exactly inspire a lot of confidence. Frankly, it looked like Larry Roundtree may have had some room to the right side there, but instead Robinson keeps the football and gains almost nothing there on third and nine. So it didn't exactly fake anybody out. It sort of told me that maybe the Missouri staff didn't have that much confidence in Sean Robinson. So it makes me wonder what they were seeing in practice in terms of Basilak. Is he just not that good when you can't hit him? I don't understand. Or are they really, you know, I, I just kept hearing that Basilak was basically a full go at the start of camp in terms of his ACL recovery. And if that's the case, I, I just can't imagine why. Robinson was number one over him and that's not let's less about a knock on Robinson and just more of it seems like Basilak really has something and it seems like Missouri may have its long-term answer here at quarterback especially since the kid is still a freshman I mean come on we are sitting pretty with this kid and heck I guess in theory unless he leaves earlier or, or something whatever this this year isn't going to count for him could he be around for Six years, six seasons, if you count last year, I guess that I guess that's possible in some weird world. By the way, when Missouri was running those designed rushing plays for Sean Robinson in the first quarter, I couldn't have been the only one who was getting Kelly Bryant flashbacks because, boy, those were just as ineffective as the ones that we ran with Kelly last year. You know, obviously Missouri's defense was not great in this football game, but you know what, they were better in the first quarter than it might have seemed, at least on paper. And I want to talk a little bit more about that Missouri defense and maybe what could have happened if Basilak would have started the game. But first, I want to tell you, of course, about my friends at Built Bar. Because let's be honest, we're all looking for a tasty treat in our lives that isn't going to pack on the pounds. But the problem is with most protein bars... They just don't taste very good, let's be honest. But you know what? Built Bar is the best of both worlds because they're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, great for that keto diet. But again, most of all, they taste excellent. 
And you know what? I'm starting to really get into the orange flavor. I'll just tell you in general, orange is a very underrated companion to chocolate in terms of flavoring. Am I wrong? Don't get me wrong. I love the coconut almond, raspberry, of course, peanut butter, mint brownie, the whole deal. But I tell you, that orange is really shooting up my own personal power <laughs> rankings. So go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code Locked On for $10 off your next order. Again, that's promo code Locked On for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. I think you have to give the Tennessee Volunteers a lot of credit in this game, especially their offensive line, I thought performed really, really well, including, well, Cade Mays, guy we discussed last last few days on the podcast, transfer from Georgia, five-star kid, originally committed to the Volunteers until they had the Jeremy Pruitt coaching change. And it looked like he started at right tackle as far as I could tell, but you know what? It seemed like the inside guys really made the difference for the Volunteers, especially in the first quarter. I mean, they just converted fourth and one after fourth and one after fourth and one, it felt like, didn't it? And I tell you, that sneak play, if you can if you can consistently convert a quarterback sneak at a 90% clip, as, as it appears the Volunteers can, that is one heck of a weapon to have in your back pocket because – they showed even if, guess what, if you've got fourth and less than a yard or fourth and about a yard, even if they're in their own territory, they're thinking about going for it. Because again, that 90% range, you should be thinking about going for it every single time. And certainly they were successful just about every time with it. But to Missouri's credit on the defensive side, at least early, they were forcing a lot of fourth down. So it, obviously it wasn't all bad for the Missouri defense. And honestly, if anything, I was a little bit disappointed with our interior. You know, I thought Kobe Whiteside had some moments where he got into the backfield, certainly on that sack play on a stunt. He got in there along with with Isaiah McGuire, I believe, at one point. But, you know, you can't expect Kobe Whiteside, I don't think, to get seven and a half sacks again or just a, a tremendous amount of pressure from his spot because if you watch the game he's playing the one technique or the zero technique basically the entire game now what that means if you're basically he's in one technique he's in he's playing the a gap between the center and the guard the entire game or he's playing heads up with the center in a zero technique that just means he's as far inside as you can possibly get so to expect him to be the pass rush guy is probably not going to happen. Now, on the other hand, we saw some good moments from Trajan Jeffcoat, or is it Trajan Jeffcoat, as Eli Drinkwitz called him once? I think it's Trajan, so we'll stick with that. But anyway, good moments from Mr. Jeffcoat. Narrowly missed a targeting call that was originally on him. I thought it was a, a good overturn there by the officials. But other than Jeffcoat, not a lot happening with the pass rush once again, and it seemed like Tennessee adjusted to Jeffcoat as the game went along, and there wasn't much happening from him as the game went along either. And I think that just sort of speaks to the fact that he didn't have a lot of help as far as pass rushing goes. But I tell you, again, first quarter, Nick Bolton, third and 10. There was a screen pass that was going to work for a Tennessee first down, but Bolton had to just navigate his way through bodies. He read the play, stopped him short, forced a field goal that Tennessee missed and kept it a one-possession game. I mean, that was an absolutely huge play at the time. 
And again, what if Connor Bazelak starts that game? What if it's a 7-7 game at that time? You know, what if Missouri just shows something? What if they're able to move the ball and flip field position a couple times? Because that just that didn't really happen, obviously, in the first quarter. So, you know, don't get me wrong. Tennessee was the better team, and they showed it today. But you definitely think the game could have been closer. And who knows how it possibly plays out if Basilek starts the entire game. But you know what? The good news is... Once the coaching staff and Eli realized that, okay, we have a better chance with Basilak today, they kept him in there and stuck with it the rest of the game. And at this point, I'd be absolutely stunned if he doesn't start against LSU and really the rest of the season. And let's pick apart some Eli Drinkwitz play calling and that Missouri defense right after the break. So Mizzou Twitter was definitely getting annoyed with the outside running by Eli, especially in that first half. But I'll just quickly, I, I mostly agree with that. I do want to make a distinction, though, between the outside zone handoffs or stretch plays, which clearly were not working at all and were often resulting in negative yardage. I'd like to distinguish those plays between the jet sweep plays. Now, at least one time, I thought Jalen Knox could have continued running on the outside on a jet sweep when we've gotten five, six yards or something. Instead, turned it inside and basically got no gain. That's on him. But for the most part, I just think the jet sweep is such a different play because it gets on the defense so much quicker. And it's also one of those constraint plays that basically some defender has to account for that player every single time you do that motion. So it helps open up the defense and the holes in the defense as well. So just, again, I, I agree with all of you who are complaining about the outside zone and stretch play type, type stuff, but I still think the sweeps, the jet sweeps, that stuff still works. And for the second straight week, another beautiful wheel route, wheel route, easy for me to say, was thrown to Tyler Beatty by Connor Basilak and a really nice throw, too, and an excellent catch by Beatty. And I'll tell you what, Roundtree, definitely the better runner of the two, but I agree with everybody who says that Beatty needs to be on the field more. I, he's one of our best playmakers, and we got to find a way to get both of those young men on the field at the same time, in my opinion. I think, I believe last week against Bama, we'll have to see We'll see later in the week when the snap counts come out for this game, but I believe Beatty played 20-something of the 70-something snaps against Alabama, so maybe you know one-third or something. That's just not enough for one of your best players, in my humble opinion. Now, speaking of the wheel route, they used a, a similar concept on the throwback pass to Daniel Parker Jr. downfield. Now, in theory, I love the play call. Unfortunately, the execution by Basilak on this play was lacking. And this was his, by far, obviously, his biggest mistake of the day. He threw an interception. And it, there's been times in the past, you guys have heard me criticize Drew Locke a little bit for being the robo QB, as I like to call it. In other words, just throwing the ball to where you expect the open receiver to be. Well, in this particular case, I did think there was a little bit of robo quarterback there. I just think you have to I think he expected Parker to be wide open because maybe that play works a lot in practice, but 
you got to check the underneath coverage. You have to make sure, especially if you're going to underthrow it a little bit, you can't, you got to make sure that that underneath zone defender is either not there or you got to put that ball out in front of him more for sure. Because I don't think he ever saw that defender if, if you asked him after the game. And, you know, as far as the defense goes, I got to be honest, I was really disappointed in our run defense today. And again, getting back to the box score, this is why the box score will lead you astray sometimes. Now, obviously, Tennessee had a ton of rushing yards, but you might think, okay, 51 yards on 230, or I'm sorry, 51 carries for 232 yards. That's not the, that's a little less than five yards a carry. You might not think we were completely gashed, but think about how many, again, how many quarterback sneaks and third and ones and fourth and ones that Tennessee was able to convert. Because here's the thing, you know, Larry Roundtree earlier in the game had an excellent one-yard run to pick up a first down, too. And, and, and I mean that. You can have excellent one-yard runs if they pick up a first down. And again, the context is, okay, in the box score, it just looks like a one-yard run on those quarterback sneaks. But again, those are devastating plays. Those are plays that keep the chains moving. And Tennessee completely dominated the rushing game. And it wasn't for a lack of aggression by Ryan Walters either. I'll be honest, I liked the game that he called today. He had his defensive backs on the line of scrimmage most of the game. He had a lot of bodies in the box, and they played single high safety other than some third and long passing, obvious passing situations on virtually every single down. So I can't fault Ryan Walters whatsoever. And I think early, first half, I noticed that Missouri was putting a lot of men on the line of scrimmage, and once the Tennessee running back got past that first level, it was really just Nick Bolton. If he didn't make the tackle, there was nobody there. Well, it seemed like second half, Missouri adjusted a tiny bit and had more of your standard-looking two-linebacker set, guys actually behind the line of scrimmage there, and I don't know how much that really helped, but... You know, you can't say he didn't try to adjust, is my point. So, to me, it's mostly on the players there in terms of execution and all that. I'm certainly going to watch this ball game again and give you another take as the week goes along here. But for now, I certainly don't have any shade to throw at Ryan Walters. I thought he, he called a pretty good game, in my opinion. Finally, for the most part, in the passing game, at least when it comes to the defensive backfield, I thought those guys, those young guys held up pretty well in terms of, of Burdine and Ennis Rakestraw, uh, even Adam Sparks, the, the older gentleman in that equation. I thought they all played decent considering. I, I thought, you know, the Palmer kid for, for Tennessee, I think Jordan Palmer, forgive me if I'm getting that wrong, but the Palmer kid for Tennessee is a beast. He is a good guy really good receiver and he he was just able to out physical our guys on a couple catches that were frankly they were in pretty good position and just one final thing I thought at the end there when when Gray or I'm sorry when Palmer had a jump ball situation lined up one-on-one with Rakestraw and they called a defensive pass interference on Rakestraw he was really angry about that call, and frankly, I don't blame him because I'm not sure what he's supposed to do in that situation. I thought Rakestraw was in pretty good position, but Palmer shoves him off with his left arm, 
okay, I'm not going to cry for an offensive pass interference, but me as if I as a defender am unable to not what knock your arm off my body, what what's wrong with that? And by the way, Palmer, the much bigger man, the upperclassman. Oh, I'm so sorry that you stiff arming me in the chest, me knocking that off. You knocked you off balance a little bit. It seemed like Palmer was flailing like he was David Beckham or something. I don't know. Come on. Come on, officials. You can't. It's weird how uh, on when it comes to receivers and defensive backs, the big guy gets the benefit of the doubt because, boy, it sure doesn't go that way in basketball. I'll promise you that. Ask Shaquille O'Neal sometime. Ask Jeremiah Tillman if he ever feels like he gets the benefit of the doubt. But somehow receivers near the goal line, jump balls, yeah, for whatever reason, we'll let them push you and we'll still they'll still get the defensive pass interference if they flail enough. Stop it. Well, frankly... Overall, I thought Rakestraw played pretty well, and just the fact that he he fought that that initial stiff arm off and stayed in the play forced an incompletion in my mind. I don't know. I thought that was a good moment for him. And you know, just one more, maybe slightly nitpicky thing. There was one moment where Missouri was down twenty-one to six, and Tennessee quarterback Jarrett Garantano. Scrambled for a first down, barely picked up the necessary yardage, and Martez Manuel put a pretty big hit on him late, and Manuel ends up standing up and flexing both of his arms. And I thought, you know what? There are few things in life that I detest more than a defensive player flexing his muscles or or doing some sort of taunt after giving up a first down in a game where you're down 21 to 6. I don't know, man. Not a good look. Is there any easier scoreboard retort in the history of sports than that? I think not. I don't know. Let's just not do that. I I hate when teams do that. Please. Stay classy, Martez Manuel. You're a fine young player and a tough player, it seems like, too. Man, he, he stayed in the game after looked like a real painful shoulder injury. So shout out to you. I thought he played a pretty solid game. Just, you know, leave the flexing for when we're actually winning and maybe you get a tackle for loss. Then then flex all you want anytime you get a TFL in my book. But again, we got to break down this Tennessee game more. And on the next episode of Locked on Mizzou, I will certainly do so with a second, even more strenuous look at this football game. So until then, I am John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.